As you're listening to the following music selections, adjust the volume, bass, and treble controls to suit your tastes. episode of Android's Dungeon, Movies, Diplomacy, Mars, History, what else? Stay tuned. Welcome to Android's Dungeon on CFRU 93.3 FM, broadcasting out of the University of Guelph, uh, Guelph, Ontario, Canada, Milky Way Galaxy, blah, blah, blah. Old news. I am Jack. I'm Joel. <coughs> and it is, well, when you're listening, this is probably Thursday. I'm going to say it's going to be sunny outside with some clouds and uh, probably, I don't know, 17 degrees. I think that's about right. It's all 17. <laughs> Always 17. Joel, what have you been playing recently? Um, I actually have gone back to my roots, you know, uh, DC deck building, (laughs) going back again. So DC deck building, for those who don't know, is when you get a bunch of people together and you dress up as your favorite DC heroes and villains and you you build a deck together. Uh, It's important to have a great foundation and to waterproof it afterward. Uh, Don't do it in the sun and don't do it in the rain. You need to find a nice overcast day. (laughs) It's funny you say that. Somebody... um, we have like a social chat at work mm-hmm. and uh, somebody mentioned, Is, does anybody know a good deck builder? Yeah, <laughs> social chat. <laughs> at least three people commented, Joel, not mm. DC. <laughs> not DC, no. <laughs> <laughs> they were actually looking for somebody to build a deck. But you know what, if it's not to jump off uh, the topic too much, but if somebody was going to say, recommend me a good deck builder, I'd almost just say Concordia at this point because oh. it's, it is just a great game on its own but it has the deck building elements but it's just it's a good example of the type of deck builder that I really really like because it's it's integrated into the game itself there's more to do but you're also creating this 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 deck that grows throughout the game and it also acts as victory points and the rest of it but um, but then it's also kind of just one third one third deck builder yeah yeah one it's third not a pure deck management builder. One third. There's there's a lot going on in Corey. I don't want to just say <laughs> it's a deck builder but but yeah you're right that is the deck building in it is fantastic. Yeah. But uh, so what did you say? Did you say deck build or DC? Uh, no, he was looking for an actual deck builder. Oh, he, like he wanted... Like somebody to build a deck. He oh. just, <laughs> he worded it in a way where everyone was, oh, a deck builder? <laughs> what else am I supposed to think? That's Anyway, uh, yeah. did you know a good deck builder? Uh, no. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, but I do know some good deck builder card games. Yeah, yeah. And DC is the number one. yeah. Which you played recently as well. Yeah, so I started bringing it to work, uh, and we're trying to squeeze it in. So sometimes we have to throw out a couple supervillains, but uh, yeah, it's it's going pretty well. We taught it to Harry today, and he loved it. He loved it. He was doing next-level plays right off the bat. You see him using skeets to throw a hero on top or mm-hmm. something to throw a hero on top, check for a hero, everything like that. It's uh, 
took took right to it. So you know anybody that plays Magic, uh, we have a friend of a friend. Uh, I wouldn't say that he's not a friend just because I don't like him. I would say I just don't know him. But um, he's <laughs> I won't mention any names, but he's ranked top five in golf for Magic. Easy Guelph Magic top five, pretty big deal. He's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, he picked up DC. Uh, our friend Josh taught it to him, and he got Kyle Rayner first time. We'll just go over this one more time because I think we've brought it up a couple times on the show, but Kyle Rayner is is the only way in DC to win the game without winning the game. So it, if it requires you to get Kyle Rayner, one of the Green Lanterns, Pretty good Green Lantern, I have to say. I'm a fan of the character, but Kyle Rayner, one of the one of the better ones. And uh, you need to have Kyle Rayner and four power rings. Three, three. So is the hand four or is it? Uh, what do you start? Five. So okay, so you have a bit of a move around, but there are ways to do it. There, there are tricks to get him, but. Uh, it's it's supposedly one of the rarest ways to win, but it seems like every time Joel <laughs> talks about DC deck builder, it's like somebody Kyle Rayner is like, oh, geez. I don't know what it is. It used to be that you know you'd get you'd hear one a year, but now it's it's pretty. And, and even last year on your birthday, didn't you Kyle Rayner and didn't somebody else Kyle Rayner and just uh, one, just, just one, just me, just you. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I I feel like there's like four or five a year now. It's, mm. Well, but maybe, we do play a lot. Yeah, yeah. So it's the so how many games? This is this is for the context of our listener. If how many games of DC deck builder do you think you've played in your lifetime? Well, I've had it for five years. Mm-hmm. Um, I put it in my ten by ten. You know, to easy easy answer for the challenge. And I was done in uh, I think April or May. Mm-hmm. So if, maybe thirty games a year. Maybe I've played one hundred fifty games. All right, it's not as crazy as I thought, but. Uh, is there an online ver- version of it? Can you play it on, uh, did they put no. it like an application in? I don't think it's big enough. Like I, I know that Magic's online and mm. uh, I don't know. Can you play Dominion online? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, but no, DC Deck Builder is, is surprisingly unknown mm. for the most part. All right. It's, uh, I think my love-hate relationship with DC has been... Uh, Mostly hate? Mostly, <laughs> wow. <laughs> It's not for me. <laughs> Three each their own. It's every now and then I get this odd craving to play it, which is weird because it's not often I walk away feeling like I. It's like, what was I doing? <laughs> it was nice letting Joel win. That was pretty good. <laughs> letting Joel, implying I had any control over it, but uh, whatever. Um, but I, I've always kind of defaulted to if I was going to play something, I prefer Valley of the Kings just because oh, I prefer maybe the the control over the mark. It's it appears less random in my opinion, just with. DC, you have this the market row that comes up, and it could be anything. So you could start off with giant cards at the start, or it can be nothings. Whereas with Valley of Kings, you've actually got the tiered rows. Like you're supposed to seed the deck, so you start off with lower cards, and you get into the stronger cards, and you get the strongest by the end of the game. And it's kind of designed around that and more manipulation of it. So, whereas like when you last time you were playing, weren't you saying you were scooping up every card on the in the available to you? Yeah. So Valley of the Kings is a great game. I would never recommend it for two-player. Really? Basically, we brought it into work. We played it every lunch for seven games. Yeah. And every single game, you could basically, because there's um, enough of each card there, mm-hmm. it's not difficult to get every single card mm-hmm. that you want. And the only way for your opponent to, say, uh, hate a card away, if you want, right. is uh, to use those cards to destroy Mm-hmm. certain cards and nobody's got time for that 
<laughs> well, it goes to show maybe because we haven't, I haven't even cracked them. They're still in plastic, but there's two other expansion, expansions, standalones for Valley of the Kings. One of which the sequel was supposedly way more aggressive, and that's more like uh, the sort of uh, the mean version of the game where you're you're directly affecting the other person. And I think there's more ways to defend against it. Whereas in the vanilla, there's you have that one <laughs> that what is it? This, this I like that you start with the defense. Yeah, yeah. The table, the table, the sacrifice table, or some or ceremonial table. And if and the way Valley Kings work is that every turn you're allowed to for free entomb one card, which is basically the only way you can score points in the game, is you have to get rid of it. But something you occasionally have to teach to new people is never, ever get rid of the sacrificial table <laughs> yeah. because it's the only thing stopping you from getting smoked by, especially in a more than two-player game. It just You'd be, have to be a madman to get rid of that because you're not going to have any cards by the... Yeah, there's one card, what, like discard down to three or something, and then they play the discard, and then you play a two-card hand every time. Yeah, it's, it's nonsense. Yeah. But anyway, and then I think the third one is considered most balanced, and, and almost, that I think, based on what I haven't played it, but what I've been reading is that almost that people would recommend over the vanilla at this point because it's got a better balance maybe of the interactivity of between other players versus uh, just trying to combo and kind of maybe your criticisms of just trying to grab. It's Anyone can grab all the cards you want, and it's yeah. unless you've... Got the game down to a path, but anyway, that's Valley of the Kings, I guess. It sounds like similar criticisms that people have against the first DC, right? Mm -hmm. Is that you can do anything and the power is is too much and it's a little too random. Mm -hmm. But anyway, DC, what would I give it? Eight out of eight Eight uh, (laughs) Kyle Rayners. (laughs) <laughs> annually <laughs> it's, it's it's a night I wish it happened to me I was close on your birthday I was really close I, I think I ended up winning the game but I was close to Kyle Raynering which I really wanted to do but um, for me I got lucky enough to finally play one of the supposedly hottest games of the year uh, which was Terraforming Mars and um, it's something that I think if you've been paying attention to board gaming at all recently it, you can't avoid if you follow any of these Twitter uh, personalities, it was just Terraforming Mars, Terraforming Mars, Dice Tower loved it, all the rest of these guys loved it. And finally got around to playing it. I think it was difficult to acquire for a bit, and now it's kind of, I think, fairly easy to get. And they've, they've already got like three or four expansions in the pipeline, and there's one that's out already, which I don't think changes the game very much, but it's a brand new board, I suppose, with different positioning, which maybe if you played the game a million times, you're like, oh, this is exciting. Look at these different opportunities. To me, it's just, oh, it's another board. Great. And I love expansion. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I see expansion. I, I want it. But th- this, nothing for me. Uh, but Terraforming Mars is um, an engine builder using the theme of, stop me if you think this is a surprise, Joel, but going to Mars and terraforming it. What? Yeah. So you take on the role of a corporation and you, you randomly deal out two to every player and you pick one of them and they all have different starting bonuses and abilities. Um, some are better at the mining aspect of the game. Some are better at the uh, animal breeding aspect. Some are better at this or that and some sort of more or less money. And you keep that corporation and then everyone gets 10 cards. And as you look at these 10 cards, you decide which one to keep. And you got to keep in mind, the way Terraforming Mars, work, Terraforming Mars works is that for every card you ever keep, you got to pay money for it. And it usually costs you $3. Uh, so you can't just right away keep everything. Unless How you, many do you start with? You can get 10 to to If you could choose. afford them all. Well, you can decide to pay 30 bucks if you want every single one of them. I don't recommend that because it seems like... Cause I th- I think the the wealthiest corporation maybe starts with forty dollars or forty eight bucks, which, and cards are expensive because the only way to play a card too is you have to buy it, then you have to pay for its construction costs in the top left corner. And some of these cards are expensive, someone like thirty, forty bucks to actually put down as well. So you have to start an engine, and you start this engine by picking cheaper cards that maybe only cost you a couple bucks, but they provide bonuses later down the road. 
And you've got this player board where you're keeping track of a bunch of different things. And there are different resources you can cash in as well. But you have the whole th way the game ends is that Mars has a series of conditions. And you need to get the oxygen level to, I think, 8% uh, oxygen. And you got to get the temperature to, uh, I don't know, 14 degrees or 9 degrees or somewhere around there. And then you have to have nine oceans thawed and on there. So after all these things are checked, the game's over if that's happened. So the end of the game depends on the other players. So you could theoretically keep the game going as long as you wanted and somebody else could be trying to end it as quickly as possible because kind of like the first thing that comes to mind is like food chain magnate and that some people have a quicker strategy and some people have a very long term just like I'm not going to do anything for a bit but I want to explode at the end and ruin it. So different goals going on. Um, so you're trading these cards back and forth. Or, so at the start of the round, uh, everyone gets four cards and you draft. So you look at your four and you say, keep this one, pass four to the person on my left, and you get whatever theirs were. So this was one of the formats, right? One of the formats. You could just do, you get four cards and that's what you're stuck with. Um, and I think that the reason I went straight to the variant is because the, the form I like to read said that it's, it's superior because at least there's a level in, of interactivity and you have some more control over your options versus, versus the other one where you just get four cards and you just look at it and you go, whatever. You, you mentioned at the start the wealthiest the wealthiest corporation gets. So does that mean you also are characters? Not really characters per se, but you you have the corporation card. So consider it like the superhero in DC, for example. Like mm. It gives a you a perk. And it's not nothing's game-breaking, although I haven't played the game nearly enough to say, like, oh, this one's clearly superior. Maybe they are. But some of them are better. Like, for example, the one that uh, uh, Kayla had was a corporation that excelled at mining. So they're a titanium that you could generate. Um, and titanium for this corporation, they can sell for four more or for four dollars versus everyone who can sell for three dollars when they trade it in. There's guys who do steel. There's mine was the the energy giant. So whenever I bought energy cards, they were two dollars cheaper and Ooh, they generated discount. more. Yeah. So it's certain things like that. They but nothing huge. But you you're supposed to I think. Just like in going back to DC, you kind of look at your hero and you kind of try to design your gameplay around it, so you're getting the most out of your 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 character and being able to turn what you do well into victory points. Or which is, you add up cards. Some cards have victory points on them. Then you check a couple of other things. But it, it was a is a, a mishmash of a bunch of different stuff, and I enjoyed it. But it felt chaotic because I don't know what to expect. I wasn't looking for certain things. And if we were to do it again, I think we'd have a lot greater degree of control over our destinies, whereas the beginning we're just kind of like, I don't know what this does. Here, you take this, I'll take that, and we'll just kind of go from there. But it was neat, and I don't think it was especially quick, but that if that was my main criticism, beyond the randomness of just being at the mercy of the luck of the draw of these these cards that show up. But Nice. And, uh, you know, if you hadn't got it from Jack's win description or endgame description, mm -hmm. terraforming is uh, basically making another planet like yeah. Earth habitable. Yeah, yeah, like and that's Terra. yeah, exactly. And, and that's I have to say the theme is very strong because all the cards revolve around this sort of stuff. And some of them are like as free actions, you can decide to crash comets or asteroids into the to the planet to create like these atmospheric conditions <laughs> to trap greenhouse gases and stuff. And that's some like and it's got some take that mechanics too, where it's like you can decide to. There's some cards where the the uh, if it's red circled, it means or, or squared in red, it means you can take these resources from another player, or you can target another player's resource. So you could say, "Well, I'm crashing this asteroid into Mars here, but um, oh, Kayla, you lose three of your plants because sorry, you got in the way of progress. Oh, so you don't gain them. No, you no, you just remove them. Yeah, you remove them. And but there are ways to protect against that because she got a card that was like protected habitat. So you're 
Imagine like you can't crash an asteroid. Really there, good greenhouse. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Boink, <laughs> it bounces right <laughs> off. And, um, but it, and there's animal breeding parts too. But the trouble is, a lot of these cards have requisites where it's like, oh, you can't play this card until the temperature is this, and you mm -hmm. can't play this card until the oxygen's up here, and you can't play this card unless there's a city here or there's X numbers of oceans out on the board, which is neat. But you got to keep in mind. I have no idea how long it is before that's going to happen and you're trying mm. to figure it out and that's where maybe playing with more than two players would be beneficial because it's the changes are happening a lot quicker and you get victory points every time you raise uh, the condition toward winning as well so and you get income every turn based on how many victory points you've currently got too so it's it's a it races it, it is an engine but like by the time you're ending it's you've got tons of cash and you're doing a lot of stuff which is kind of cool but sounds great can't wait to play yeah we'll give it a shot so um what do you think of, you know, people like Musk that want to just drop nukes on each pole and you know, heat it up that way? <laughs> do you remember, do you ever play Alpha Centauri? No. That was one of the things you could do. And so Alpha Centauri, for those who don't know, was um, Sid Meier's, um, it was a Sim City or it was a civilization game, but it was set in space. And it's supposed to be like the sequel to uh, Civ 3, Civ 4, before it went full 3D. And there was a race you could be, where, which were the, the, the space ocean pirates. And one of your options was to uh, melt the polar ice caps in this game. And you flood the entire, all of Alpha ah. Centauri, but you've got all the boats. So you're just, ha, ha, yo, ho, ho. <laughs> Living on the water. Living on the water like that. But you had to pass it, I think. I don't know if you could do it unilaterally, but you could vote in the council to do it as well. But you could do things like ban nukes and whatnot. No, they're ban nukes. You need the nukes. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, f I got sidetracked when you talked about melting uh, or nuking the north. Um, but anyway, and we that should was... try that in Game of Thrones. Nuke the north? Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Just the, they should develop some nuclear technology, get like some... Well, they've already got a mad scientist. Why hasn't he figured it yeah. out? I haven't seen the new season, so don't say so anything. So what do you think? Uh, I want to hear about... Uh, I don't know if we have time, but I want to hear about your Three of the Ages experience as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Well, what's, what are we doing? We're, we're kind of cruising right now. What would you give Terraforming Mars? Terraforming Mars, I only played it once because it was a learning game. Um, the surface impression I will give uh, seven crashed asteroids out of 12 right now because I don't understand it, and I think there's a lot to it, but mm -hmm. it's, it just feels very random right now and haphazard which is what I'd say for through the ages right now because I don't quite understand what some of these cards do and what I should be doing. It's and like I'm just kind of fumbling. Kind of reminds me, maybe the first time we played Terra Mystica. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> if there's, if you, dear listener, have, has, have, has, have played Terra Mystica, uh, please do me a favor and help me out. I have no idea why. <laughs> <laughs> it makes no sense to me. It's, uh, it's, I, I, it's cracked. I don't know. I didn't Follow get the it. Path. I didn't get it. Not at all. It no. made no sense to me. And, stuff came. and there's a sequel coming out, which is set in space, and apparently is a variable board, which is supposed to make thing keep things fresh. Because, like you're saying, the game is if you were to play it as is, the board's static. So if you play a certain way, it's like your moves are already predetermined. But there are tournaments. A lot of people love Terra Mystica, and it's it's something very special and dear to some hardcore gamers' hearts. But I'm not saying it's a bad game. No, I'm, no. I'm sure it's a really good game. It's yeah. just we're not at that level yet. I will take a special moment here to, if John is listening, I am still upset with you for having this unboxed, well, borderline unboxed uh, Terra Mystica uh, set sitting there. Uh, never played, never offered to have played, 
It's, uh, I, th I think maybe someone said, teach me how to play it at one point, and I'm sorry. I think we have a uh, sound queued up for you. Yeah, what's, uh, Joel, what do you think you would describe someone who uh, does something like that? Um, well, I'd say that they're scum. 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 <laughs> that was our scum of the day, going out to a dear friend of ours. Open your game. <laughs> Open your game. <laughs> Although I'm the last person who should talk. But just <laughs> I'm not holding out on it. Uh, all right, so on that note, I think we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back in a moment to discuss a couple other things. Stay tuned. Actually, my Istanbul is still sealed. Oh, really? But that's because I play everybody else's. Well, fair enough. And, well, now that you've broken the streak, now I think maybe you can crack it and start playing it a bit more often. That's right. That way I don't lose on my own game. All right. Now, now for real, we're going to take a break. Be back in a moment.
Welcome back to CFRU 93.3 FM. Uh, what you just heard was most likely from uh, Twin Peaks, Laura Palmer's theme song by the uh, wonderful Angelo Badalamenti. And the reason I played that is because uh, the Twin Peaks The Return recently finished last week, or on Sunday. Uh, and for anyone who was watching, uh, for you, dear listener, who may have been watching and should have been watching, please tell me what you thought of it because I... I was, I, I loved it, every second of it, and I wish there was more, and I hope there's more, but I, I think that the odds of us getting more Twin Peaks are very, very low, and it's almost a good thing, you know, Joel, like, if you have something special like The Sopranos that ended almost like you wanted more, but that's the best, what is it they say in show business? Leave them wanting more? Yeah. Well, they're talking about making more Breaking Bad. What? Yeah. Who's, according I don't to know who? I if it's a rumor, but Terry Gilliam's, you know, expressed some interest. <laughs> Terry Gilliam? Yeah. Mm. Um, it's something that just you can't touch again. Some I don't. I was never the biggest Breaking Bad fan. I'll be honest here. But it's it ended. Like, what are you gonna do? You're gonna do like because you've already got Better Call Saul, which I love. I really really like that. Yeah. And you've got you. It's already doing its own thing. So why do you need to go back to Walter White? Or are they gonna do like a a sequel taking place somewhere else? With uh, I can almost see them doing like a spinoff again with what's his name, Hermanos uh, Los Pollos Hermanos. Or, oh yeah. Or Jesse. Or oh my god. Jeez, <laughs> oh, that'd be a train wreck of a show. I don't know. I never liked Jesse as a character. He was he, obnoxious. He can't stand on his own. Yeah. Um, anyway, so Twin Peaks finished, outstanding, really, really good. Um, and I can't wait for the soundtrack to come out too because there was a ton of original music or at least, a, I don't know if it was sh- original per se, but it seemed like it was recorded for the show itself. So maybe that'd be kind of cool to hear those renditions of songs, but like random guys like Eddie Vedder and Nine Inch Nails showing up to do shows and Julie Cruz, Chromatics go on down the line, really, really cool stuff. But um, I was trying to talk Joel into well, I don't think I have to talk you into it as much, but trying to get you to watch Twin Peaks because it's a really, really important little series, dear to my heart. Well, I got about half an episode left at Westworld, yeah, which is impressive because I started Saturday. <laughs> I'm astounded. <laughs> like an hour and a half each. So without too many spoilers, although it's, the show's been out for a while, so we're not going to duck around it too much. What do you think about Westworld? What's What are your thoughts? Well, it's great. I, I still, I'm still, here's, here's my biggest question okay uh there's all these visitors in a park full of robots and the robots can't hurt the visitors fine there's still a ton of visitors with guns yeah how are they not killing each other maybe the way it works is that it's uh that the maybe because the visitors are being tracked too like they know where the visitors are so similarly how the gun can only hurt the other robots maybe it doesn't work on humans too so it just doesn't like can't aim can't aim or they've got knives yeah, yeah. So I guess like the knife. Did the knife go like all jelly on someone, or is it? I know that there's something called like a good Samaritan protocol, mm-hmm. where if it looks like a visitor is going to hurt another visitor, the robot stops. Uh, them? A robot will intervene, uh. but they can't always be there. Like there's zero visitor deaths in the entire show, as far as I could see. Yeah, it would, it's kind of an interesting question because you think maybe maybe it's just along the lines of you sign a waiver. Like theoretically, someone else could could hurt you. That's part of the risk of going to Westworld, but we're going to do everything in our power to make sure it doesn't happen and maybe keep away from other people. And, or maybe just the rules, like they're, everyone's doing their own separate little adventure and they're close enough to robots to stop them if like so-and-so gets loaded. Because there's a lot of drinking going on here too. Yeah. So drinking the other thing. and knives. The very beginning of the show, 
uh, if somebody twitches in a certain way and the, the behavior people are watching, they catch it right away. Yeah, yeah. Ah, what's going on with it? We're going to go investigate. Get a uh, little slack. somebody. Yeah. All of a sudden, yeah, halfway through, <laughs> they're doing all these ridiculous things and yeah. disappearing for days on end and... No one seems to notice. <laughs> the only way I can chalk this up, and spoilers here, is that maybe Anthony Hopkins was covering it up somehow or whether he was, like, trying to make it so it doesn't show up more. I, I don't know. Just a certain amount of liberty you got to give with them to make it into an interesting series. Yeah. But it is what you're saying, though. Like, when it starts off with them being, like, on a dime, like somebody, like you're saying, twitches, then, oh, off they go, recycled. And now it's just, like... Okay. Yeah. He wandered off and killed someone. That's. <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll see how this goes plays out. You no, know, it's a lot of fun. I you can poke holes in any story, but yeah, it was a great show. Outstanding, really great acting, great set design, great music, everything. It got to be expensive, yeah. super the, expensive. A piano and the thing playing, you know, all radio. Did it seem like Radiohead? Yeah, some Radiohead. Console. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Westworld. What there was, Abrams was he a producer on that? It was. Um, is it Christopher Nolan's brother? Well, Christopher Nolan's brother was definitely yeah. involved in it. I just guess where J.J. Abrams was, or isn't? Uh, anyway, some some big talent involved there. So it's funny we bring up Christopher Nolan because I just got to see finally on the week uh, on the weekend yesterday uh, Dunkirk, uh, all about the evacuation Dunkirk. of uh, British soldiers from Dunkirk after they they done goofed and got surrounded by Hitler. So. I hadn't seen it for a while. I've been wanting to see it for a while, but it was just, there's never a giant on my radar. But just as the summer went on, just gradually more time has appeared magically. And thank God it was still in theaters and got to see it and sitting down with my, my and this was a treat too, because I got to see it with my friend who is, he has his PhD in, in military history and he lives and breathes his stuff. And um, it was a treat seeing it with him because you could just, you could kind of turn to him and see him like, Oh, he's really enjoying this. <laughs> that just got to be a good sign on some level. But it's just a great movie. Period. It doesn't. It could have been about unicorns fighting or something like that. If it was shot as beautifully and acted as beautifully, and all this this tidy little product with minimal dialogue, which is, was outstanding, because so many movies now they're just talk, 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 talk. And the writing. The problem is the writing isn't good enough to support that sort of stuff. But the 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 dialogue is so sparse in this. And the music and and story so strong that you just go for minutes on end with nobody saying a word, but just lots of like straight up acting. People like looking in terror and kind of moving around and ducking and dodging and just trying to get away from the the horrors of war and the colors. It, it, very Nolan esque, I guess I could say. Like there's one scene where it's like this cold. I, I always come up with this head, word in my head, but cobalt. This this metal green or metal blue of mm, the, the very much a wartime color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like of the 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 twilight or the dusk or something mixed with the smoke, but just the vaguely hallucinogenic and kind of like the opposite to the apocalypse now, sort of oranges uh, and blacks of the jungle, but. Um, Incredible, and I loved the the Tom Hardy scenes where he's in the the fighter jet or fighter jet, like the it's incredible the Spitfire. Jet. It's not quite a fighter jet, but whatever. Just but it's not it's not the it's not exactly like X wings doing the Death Star trench stuff. It just felt realistic in that it's fairly slow. It's easy to mess up. It's easy clumsy, to miss the guy. Yeah. Clumsy, and you're you're always worrying about fuel, which was like the the big thing that in this was that like the guys only have X amount of fuel. And he's trying to balance, like, there's the one tense decision 
when he sees the German bomber coming to uh, take uh, out a ship, take out a ship, and he's looking at it, he's got to turn back. If he wants to make it back to England, with he has to turn around. And there's this, oh, what's he going to do? Of course, he goes and he uh, is going to go after the bomber. But it, it just was really, it was tense, but it felt realistically tense and not just dry realistic. It felt like a, a legit uh, decision that the man had to make in there, which is really been, That was really a moment where the music could have ruined it. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine like a cheaper film? Just the orchestral swell. Look. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness, which is sort of, I have to say this, they sort of did it when it's like, oh no, when they're on the dock near the end of the movie, they're like, oh no, I hear dive bombers. Kenneth Branagh's staring it down. Kenneth Branagh's staring down, and he's like, he's accepting his fate. And then, oh, it's like, and then the guy's like, yeah, thanks, Tom Hardy. It was cheesy, but in the perfect kind of way. But you know, it's just like, it's kind of like, I can't help but smile. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And then he, like, obviously is, all right, nothing about that. But it was just, I thought it was great. And it really is, I don't know if it'll be the standard for, like, showing off your home theater system, but I think it'll be something that if if they do a good job on the Blu-ray, you can really show off your sound and your picture, and you can just throw that baby in and just kind of be immersed in this, this gorgeous movie. And... Kelly didn't know this, but there's no digital effects. I, I thought there was none, but I was wondering about that because it's all practical, or it was yeah. it all appeared practical. Visual effects, yeah. visual effects, and there were parts there I was wondering, like, how did they do that? Did they where did they get these boats that they're sinking? And then I started thinking, <laughs> like, I wonder how they get the boats out, or do they just sink them and it's accepted that they're there? So for now, the I heard your friend was saying it was the wrong Spitfire, and yeah. I was thinking, you know, how many Spitfires do you think are around yeah, these yeah. days? Well, they probably it. couldn't get that Spitfire. That's anyway. what I was thinking. It's probably easier to get the the late war ones because yeah. they may have had some extras floating around versus like the early ones because not many of those came back. They're all dead. <laughs> But yeah, just like of all the criticisms, like that was what my buddy point. I asked him after the movie. I said, "Oh, so what, what about historical and uh, historical accuracy?" And his one thing, like Joel was saying, was that oh, they were using the wrong model of Spitfire. But aside from that, like usually his thing is like he is, and I, I and I'm going to read the serial number. <laughs> well, that's it. But I guess there's certain designs you can kind of point to. Yeah. But whether he and this is not to take away from Andrew whatsoever, Andrew is that uh, did you look it up beforehand and that's what you read was inaccurate or did you actually notice that this is the incorrect thing? Now, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt because he knows uniforms really well too. He can look at like certain issues of firearms too and say, no, that wasn't out there till this state and that wasn't there till this time as well. Well, I have a major in history. I don't have a PhD in history, but... All right, I don't want to hear what you're saying. I don't remember spending any time looking at pictures of planes. <laughs> no, no, but that's it. That's just his, yeah, his that's obsession. His he yeah. loves it. And uh, good on him. Yeah. <laughs> I can't keep him straight, but we all have different things you could point to and say, oh, no, that's not from this year. Uh, but Dunkirk, I loved, absolutely loved it. And I think it deserves all the accolades it gets, or it, it got. Much better than The Dark Knight, right? You just can't have the Joker in uh, real-life adaptation. <laughs> no, it's... Uh, <laughs> it doesn't work. I, I think it's uh, far superior to the Joker appearing in real life because that's just nonsense. It doesn't make sense. Uh, so that was my thing. I got to see Dunkirk, and Joel's already seen Dunkirk, so we were able to have a me talking at Joel mostly in this one, but... <laughs> Uh, Joel, you got to see something else on Tuesday, and uh, which I want to see as well. But I'm going to be curious what right, your well, opinions are. I'll try not to talk too much about it and give it too much away. Yeah. But uh, Logan Lucky, I saw, which is great ratings. Uh, picked it up uh, yesterday. Apparently, his 
seen points are supposed to be 50% off, but I... If, if you, you go to the movie, I think, I don't know whether it's month or this week. It's this week, and they're supposed to be worth double, so it should be 500 points to watch a movie. So it's cheaper to use your Steam points to see a movie, and you're supposed to get more Steam points, is what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. So that's just our little uh, Android Dungeon tip of movie, cheap movie viewing, by the way. We went to the counter, and then the girl had no idea what we were talking about. Of so course we just, not. You know, it was Tuesday anyway. So. Yeah, yeah. But Logan Lucky, um, really quiet film. Just surprising because it's a heist film. And you think uh, there's going to be a lot of action. There's going to be, you know, there's still like, you know, the prep montage and everything like that and everything. Yeah. Uh, there's going to be some kind of big high point where there's the climax, everything like that, and some mystery on and on and on, maybe yeah. some double dealing. Are they going to get away with it? Heist. Are they going to be betrayed? Is this going to, something goes wrong, they're going to have to like adapt or to fail? Yeah. And I can't tell Jack much, but the film doesn't really take that road. It's it's very calm film. Uh-huh. It's very introspective. It's, it's about the characters. And it, it was pretty interesting. Like, uh, it didn't drive me crazy. I wasn't like, oh, this is the best film 2017. Mm-hmm. But uh, I really enjoyed it. And I, I, don't, I really don't want to say m- too much about it because I, I want you to go see it. All right. So I'll see it and then we can have a r- full on talk about it. But all I know is this, and you can let me know if I'm wrong. It's a it's Soderbergh's movie. Uh, he's supposedly retired. He's retired, I think, a dozen times at this point. <laughs> um, interesting character. I've I have a love hate relationship with Steven Soderbergh because I think he's done some great movies. On the other hand, I think he's kind of coasted on remaking things and kind of putting his own spin on it, but kind of getting away with it. Like Ocean's Eleven, he remade it. Solaris, he remade it. Um, I I think he's a very talented director and I think he's got a distinct vision or a distinct look to his movies. Like if you look through all his stuff, like that's it. I'm not a big, I don't really know his early stuff very much, but if you look at something like, let's say Contagion um, and Ocean's Eleven and um, what was that? um, One with George Clooney and uh, Jennifer Lopez uh, into the, into something, ah, whatever. But they all have this, and the limey, they all have this, this, this look and kind of going back to Dunkirk again about that steely blue or those greens it's very the hues the contrast in Soderbergh's movies are very distinct and um, he's able to get these sort of like interesting sort of scene composition that I really do respect and I think is pretty cool and even the limey uh, which is famous for having this great director's commentary where him and the writer are actually fighting during the, the commentary <laughs> because the writer said, this is, I wasn't happy with this. And Stephen thought, was, well, I wasn't happy with the script here. And they're just kind of like, sort, they're not like chewing each other out, but it's just they're actually having arguments <laughs> during it. But uh, the limey with it's like, has a zoom where it's like, it's incorrect. It's an error. And it just like, and it's kind of blurry. And then he f- gets into focus and kind of puts it back there. But in the context of the movie, it just works. It's just kind of cool. Because <laughs> you don't see that much, right? No, it's no. It's almost like uh, you are losing focus. Yeah, exactly. So I'm really curious if you, is it a, is it a comedy at all? Does it have comedic elements or is it fairly straight and kind of um, played, f- played straight, I guess, the best one? It's very much a comedy, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's very, it's, it's also kind of, a look on middle America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, the characters are very much, uh, I think the film opens with, um, an injustice being done. Okay. Uh, basically he has a limp uh-huh. and HR has noticed that he has a limp and they're making the construction manager fire him uh-huh. because, uh, he didn't report that in his paperwork when he first got it. 
maybe he should have reported a limp, but they're calling it a pre-existing condition. Uh, and bam, see, he's done. So obviously at that point, he's disgruntled and move on into the highest rate. Well, interesting. Justification. So they're not necessarily career criminals, but people pushed into it out of circumstances, uh, maybe out of their control or maybe not. I don't know. I'm still speculating. <laughs> Apparently he had like a plan to rob a bank when they were like little kids and okay. tried it then and did it better the second time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it's almost like I don't want to say too much about it because, again, I don't know anything about this. But I'm getting vibes from uh, hell or high water here of uh, guys doing uh, yeah, it's kind of sticking it to the man. Maybe. Hell or high water was very much pushing that in your face. And yeah. it was done very, Middle very America well. But stuff. it was very much like, look at you, the United States in decay kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. The, what do they call it? Late stage capitalism. Right. <laughs> um, this one's kind of a mix. Okay. All right. So I'll see you next week, and then we can have a, a full-on discussion rather than dancing around it like yeah. uh, Joel's done very well, by the way. There's a lovely father-daughter relationship. Oh, that's yeah. what I look for in my movies. Yeah. Um, so kind of going back to Dunkirk a little bit, um, if you've been listening to our show at all, which I really, really hope you have, please... Please listen. Keep listening. Uh, you'll notice, you'll know that we've been playing, uh, well, I haven't, but some people who have been on Android's Dungeon have been playing a game called Diplomacy lately, which is a lot of people consider the granddaddy of the, the I don't know if you want to call it the war game, but the it, whereas Risk is your cousin who puts a pot on his head and runs into a wall, <laughs> uh, Diplomacy is your your other cousin who studied in his room by himself and threw paper airplanes with messages out to other people to tell them what to do. What's that uh, sort of, it's kind of like a magician thing, but uh, where you ma- manipulate someone? Uh, hypnotize? Or something? Yeah. yeah, a little bit, but kind of, I'm thinking of the, have you seen Now You See Me? Yes. You know the guy, uh, Woody Harrelson's character? So just hucksters or like a sleight of hand, I don't know. No, he's just very persuasive. Okay, silver-tongued, I don't know. This is what you need in diplomacy, <laughs> is what I'm saying, because you can be as strategic as you want, and that's very much an aspect of it. But, but if you don't talk to anyone. A person who submits good orders will do better than another person one-on-one. Yeah. But if you're not talking, you have a very small amount of power, and so does another six people. So. Yeah, what was it that we said? If you're not talking, everyone else is talking about you. Yeah. And <laughs> Never leave not. the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, so diplomacy, why don't you give us a rundown? Because is it done now? It is. It is we've, we've finished the work diplomacy. We did a move a day. Yeah. At the end, we bumped it up to two moves a day. Yep. Because there was only three players. Kind of like in poker, you up the ante as players drop out just to kind of speed this whole thing up. Yeah, that's right. So diplomacy is uh, a map of Europe. Uh, everybody starts with three units, except for Russia, who starts with four, because they have a lot of ground to cover. And each unit, you can only have one unit in each territory. So unlike mm-hmm. in Risk, where you make your giant death ball when you roll through, yeah. um, you can keep one unit in each square. You either have an army or a fleet. And the armies move across the land. The fleet can move either across the water or along the coast. Mm-hmm. And you're basically just um, moving into each opponent's territory, uh, trying to take as much as you can. If you get to 18, you win. Oh, so is that like... That's the the Kyle Rayner of the game, like eight, taking eighteen and it's game over. Or <laughs> the Kyle Rayner. Oh yeah, that's the yeah, that's the end game. game. And uh, if you reach eighteen stars, so eighteen production territories, so some territories are just they are what they are. They don't do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, then yeah, then you're the winner. So there's no hard cap on the game though for time limit, eh? No. 
Uh, we did make a 30-year cap. We mm-hmm. only got to 13 years. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess 30 was maybe a little generous. Huh? <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. All right. So uh, diplomacy is done. Um, who was the winner? It was a, t- a three-way tie, right? Yeah. So the way it happened was um, our friend Mark uh, called in sick one day and his uh, the two other people still in the game, because it was down to three people, um, turned on him. They mm-hmm. allied. And this was really funny because one of the, they had been allies all game, and then one of them had betrayed them. Mm-hmm. So they both realized he was going to win and allied against him together. And so it, <laughs> Mark said, I'm sick. Can you, you know, talk to these people, see what you can do? <laughs> In what sense? What do you mean? So even though I was the administrator, I had to represent Mark and say, listen, oh, he wanted you to be his I need you to um, turn on this guy that's been betraying everybody. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I managed to convince Stefan to do so. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was poetic justice. Uh, he was France. Mm-hmm. His name was Tyler. He had betrayed everybody in the game except for the person <laughs> that he had never met, which was <laughs> your girlfriend, Kayla. Okay. And... Um, he got betrayed, betrayed immediately. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why people kept allying with him, but uh, he immediately surrendered because he saw the writing on the wall. And with by the end of the day, before anybody had made any moves, uh, Britain and Turkey had agreed to a two-way draw for win- for first. Okay. Game's over. We're leaving Dunkirk yesterday, and we're we're all hopped up on World War Two action and. Kale turns to me and says, oh, wouldn't it be cool if you had airplanes in diplomacy or air forces or something like that? So I guess she ran with this idea a little bit with the diplomacy crew. What what did you guys walk away with for your spitballing or brainballing of this stuff? Well, first we looked it up, and I guess attack with an exclamation mark is a kind of a World War II-ish diplomacy. You have that game? I don't have it. I pl- attack was one of the first board games, big board games I ever played, actually. And uh, uh, I'll let you say what you're going to say, and then we can talk about that well I don't know you'd know better than me but it seemed like it was a little different basically what I, we found was on board game or board game people had posted this idea before mm-hmm. what if we had planes and nukes and political power? super diplomacy yeah. yeah well it's funny because attack is actually way closer to something you would have played Twilight Imperium Ooh. in which different units are better against other things now attack is a little more um I don't want to say rock, paper, scissory than Twilight Imperium because Twilight Imperium, you can just have, like, having great ships is great ships. Great, good for you. Whereas attack rewards you for having variety because you get to kind of choose what you're going to do. So infantry are good against certain things. Um, your tanks are good against infantry. Uh, tanks are weak against planes. Planes are weak against this. Um, I forget how subs work. I think there's submarines and destroyers or something too. I could be going off base. It's more just trying to figure out your enemy composition and put in the soldiers and or the armies that are going to take care of them better than others. So you don't just like risk style where it's just like, okay, I'm just theoretically moving armies of infinite composition into somewhere else. But that's what I said to Kale originally when she was talking about the the plane stuff. It's like, oh, well, it could be like Twilight Imperium or Attack, the, the how planes work in that game. But... Yeah, I mean, obviously there's there's tons of combat games out there. Um, diplomacy, I think, is unique in its um, aspect of having everything being worth a one, mm-hmm. right? Everything's worth one and you can't stack a territory. Mm-hmm. So really you can't make a strong territory. Everything is equally as vulnerable and everything is equally as weak or strong or whatever you want to put it. Mm-hmm. So 
in order to incorporate planes, and this is what we came up with, um, first of all, planes would be better than boats and um, ground units, mm-hmm. just the fact that they'd be more mobile. So mm-hmm. there would have to be higher cost. So the cost two unit cut score. So instead of having uh, nine boats and armies combined, you can have eight if one of them is a plane. Okay. Uh, second, uh, actually uh, did little posts about the actual history of the year that we were in uh, before each year began. And so I, because of that, I know that um, <laughs> the Wright brothers didn't sell the first military plane until, and maybe Andrew's going to correct me on this, but 1908 okay. I think, was the first um, military plane sold. Uh, so it would be cool because the game begins in 1901 mm-hmm. to say in 1908, ah, planes are now available. That's I like that. I think that's pretty cool. Because you start, you're slugging it out, you're having all these troubles and everything like that. And then all of a sudden, oh, new opportunity. Do I want to build two of these or do I want to get a plane in the game? I like that a lot. I like, the, I, I like it when games have stuff kind of behind walls of sort that that naturally fall down throughout the game yeah. and then stuff becomes available, especially natural or, uh, technology trees, like something like that. That's really cool. Yeah, and then this is the way I think it would work, was you have to make it in your home territory just like everything else, mm-hmm. which means your country, not something you control. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it can move five, but it can only assist. Yeah, yeah it can never attack. take anything. It can't take a territory, and if you don't get it back to a star, so if you don't get back to a supply center, it dies. Now, how, would it be difficult to get it back to a supply center or a star? Like, I'm not sure. Again, I still have a hard time sort of totally imagining. I don't think it would be difficult. I think maybe your first move, you'd have to go maybe from star to star, just do a little move, get it close to the front. Mm-hmm. Um, but the cool thing about it would be in the fall, in the winter, you count your stars and you build again. Mm-hmm. So you would have this opportunity in the fall to um, let let your plane die. Mm-hmm. Essentially, like, say, I really need to get to the spot that's four slots away. I won't get it back to a star, but it can crash and burn, mm-hmm. and then I can build it again in my home territory, okay. right? Um, and that would be really cool. So let's say, yeah, so you're supporting an attack here, and your star is over here, and so it's three away. So you go three, and then back to there, and then mm-hmm. you've supported the attack. If, say, for example, somebody's your buddy has betrayed you over here. All of a sudden, you're cutting all the way back. <laughs> Emergency measures. I think it would be great for counter betrayals. Okay. And is the plane stronger or it just has mobility? That's the It have the real... to be the same yeah, yeah. just because of the principles of conspiracy. It wouldn't make sense if it was worth any more. Okay. So, but you were saying on Board Game Geek, was it Board Game Geek that you were looking at? Yeah. So other people have thought about this before though. Yeah, well, they kind of lumped it in with a bunch of other ideas like nuclear weapons. It seems weird. I don't know if I, a nuclear weapon would be, because you're almost starting to get into like the risk, uh, what is it, like 23, yeah, planes are conceivable. The planes are, make sense. The game starts in 1901. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Joel, like, why not, if you're going to introduce planes at this point, why not introduce machine guns? <laughs> why not introduce tanks? And why not introduce everything else down yeah, the line? Trench warfare. <laughs> it's something that, uh, so, but you've also been playing it. A ton of uh, diplomacy on your phone and with like online, not diplomacy technically, yeah. but it's uh, a fantastic free app. If anybody wants to learn diplomacy, I would 100% recommend because it was built fairly well. 
uh, conspiracy. It's, I mean, there's tons of websites and even apps out there to play diplomacy. Yeah, and what's the community like? Is it easy to get into or is it tough, like you're just getting smushed? No, it's it's because diplomacy is a very, very simple game at its core, it really just it comes down to your ability to talk to people. Hmm. Well, that's an endorsement right there, even though I think most people... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's... The, ah, I was going to try it. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I know people are afraid to pick up the phone, let alone uh, interact with other people, but uh, to each their own, I guess. But on that note... Oh, it's over. It's over. The the drums indicate the end of another episode of Android's Dungeon, CFRU 93.3 FM. Uh, Dunkirk, Diplomacy, Terraforming Mars. We didn't really talk about Through the Ages at all, but we'll talk about that maybe next week, which will not be next week. We're actually preempted next week, by the way, because uh, you're going to listen to some club stuff. You can find out what clubs to join. It's at the school. Welcome to the campus. Maybe you can join CFRU. You can be the producer for Android's Dungeon, the world famous show. (laughs) Anyway, I'm Jack. I'm Joel. Stay tuned.